Thank you for downloading the Blue Moon podcast. Please give the show your support by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon podcast. Hello and welcome to this year's Blue Moon Podcast Live. I'm David Mooney and you join us at Idle Hands Coffee in Manchester. It's been an incredible season for City and over the course of the evening we'll be looking at all the talking points of the last nine months. With me to look at the key events of the domestic treble, I've got Manchester City fan and blogger Richard Burns. Thanks. City supporter and full-time cynic Kieran Clark. And former City striker Leon Mike. Now, Richard, I, I, I'm going to start with you because um, I pulled you up in 2016 for calling Pep Guardiola the best piece of recru- recruitment that City have ever pulled off, thinking you're know, big in my boots and, you know, uh, end of the season, he'd won nothing, what you were talking about. And then two years later, I'm going to give you the chance to just make me eat a bit more humble pie. Um, yeah, well, you have to because he, he's proven himself, hasn't he? The, the season with 100 points, as if that wasn't enough, is backed it up by being the first manager to manage a team to back-to-back titles in the Premier League in a decade. Um, he's done it not just 100 points one season, but with 98 points the next, and backed it up with a domestic treble. Um, it's, he's been absolutely phenomenal. He's coached good players to being great players and, and great players to um, just a whole new levels. You can see it with, with every individual, almost every individual that he's worked with. Um, Claudio Bravo remains a weird anomaly, um, but he's, he's coaching players to phenomenal levels and, and the team as a result. Um, and so I, I still believe, if anything, I more believe that he is the greatest bit of recruitment that City have ever pulled off. It's been a season full of highlights, Kieran. Uh, what's the pick of the bunch? Yeah, so the season highlight for me was unquestionably Vincent Company's goal. Um, I think, I think the 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 importance of that moment at the time was absolutely incredible. Um, for from Bob Tool shouting "Don't shoot!" Um, to the game was slipping away from us, the league was slipping away from us. You could just feel that Leicester were Leicester were really, really, really good in that game, and it's sort of like they they didn't get enough credit for it, um, and. He just absolutely blasted the back off the net. It was incredible, an incredible moment. And the fact that we now know that he's going, it's just put it into an additional additional context of just how much I'm going to miss the great man. Um, what what he's done for this club, um, the way that he's embraced the city, uh, I just the way that he struts back from the halfway line after after he scores a goal. I just absolutely love the man and I'm, I'm just really going to miss him and there is going to be a piece of City gone when he goes. But thankfully that, that piece does seem to be coming back at some point in the future from, from all, all accounts. I mean, off the back of that, Richard, they've, City have done this without De Bruyne for the whole season, with, without Mendy for the whole season. 
Yeah, it's a it's a testament to first of all the coaching at City and the management that I think any team in the world, it doesn't matter whether you're a non-league team or you're the best team in the world, you take the best player out of any team and the quality of the team should diminish. It's you know, it's just sort of it seems obvious, doesn't it? If the best player that you're taking out is arguably the best player in the league and one of the best players in the world, one of the best players City have ever had, then Again, you, it, this should be worse. It doesn't make sense that they somehow maintain the levels, that they, they win as many games as they did last season, um, that they win more trophies without the best player. Um, it's, it's an insane achievement. It's also a testament to how the rest of the team has stepped up around De Bruyne. So I'm sure we're going to spend plenty of time talking about him. You look at Bernardo Silva this season. It's been absolutely outstanding. We saw last night he uh, won City's official Player of the Year award. Um, you know, I think he was an outside shout for a lot of people's PFA player of the year award Raheem Sterling stepped up massively um, game in game out game turning moments match winning goals and assists um, and we've proven that if anybody possibly thought it, there's no element of being a one man team because it doesn't require just De Bruyne to drive it for as good as he is and as much as you'd always rather have him we're not overly reliant on him I think it's it's interesting let's move on to Bernardo Silva um, just because I mean Leon he He's been a revelation this season for City. He has, and um, I watched him close in a, in a few games, and he, he, he's he got a tenacity about him I didn't realise he had. And he's probably developed that more since he's he's come to the Premier League and played for City. Um, and then you're talking about his natural ability um, on top of that work rate. So, fantastic player in the mould of probably David Silva. Um, probably a bit more of a dribbler than David Silva, I would say. Um, so, you know... We talk about De Bruyne being out of the team. That just means someone comes in who runs forward for David Silva or Bernardo Silva to hit. So you're talking about having different tools. And Guardiola's proven time and time again that he, he puts people together. He doesn't necessarily put the best players in the team all the time, but he puts teams together that work. And that's the, the, the basis of what he does. I mean, it's, it's funny, Kieran, the... He's about as big as the ball. It doesn't make sense. He, he, he controls the ball. I think that should knock him over. Yeah, but I think his, his centre of gravity is just incredible, isn't it? Like, and I think there's, I think when when David Silva first arrived in the Premier League, there was a lot of talk that oh, he's not big enough, or he's not got enough about him. Which you know, you think like genuinely people were saying that for a long time when we first signed Silva. You think look back in it, looking back at it now, it's just absolutely ridiculous statements to think that David Silva couldn't make it in the Premier League, and. I think uh, there was the odd murmuring about that when, because I think he started Bournemouth away last season and then he didn't start that many games and people were saying, oh, potentially, is it is he a bit too lightweight for the Premier League? And it's just one of those, you know, one of those things like new manager bounce, etc. and stuff like that. Sometimes a player just needs to get used to the league. And I think last year, like, a massive moment for me was in the Champions League, um, when when we played Liverpool and a lot of people talk about the the incorrect offside decision or whatever, that one where he cut inside and just smashed it and it hit the inside of the post and came back out, just thought that that if obviously you know ifs buts and maybes if that was an inch more inside you would I don't think anyone would have been would have been talking about first season syndrome with Bernardo Silva it just would have been completely normal he's an amazing player. Um, what has surprised me a slight bit this year is his step into inside. Um, when I think away at Anfield at the start of the season, the way that he played from defensive midfield and was just a complete, an actual complete box-to-box midfielder in that game, like you think, 
players that could play the Fernandinho role. You don't want him playing that role, but he could definitely do it. And absolutely no problem because he's got that tenacity and that bit of bite about him and just an unreal engine. It's just, as I say, he's pr- he'd probably just shade my player of the year, to be honest with you. Over who? For me, it's... For me, it would have been, apart from the Spurs games, it probably would have been Laporte. Uh, but I'd say Bernardo, Sterling, then Laporte. Still on Bernardo, Richard. Uh, he has this signature move where he kind of gets the ball out wide and then suddenly he's, in the, he's on the corner of the penalty area having beaten six men. And like, there's, it doesn't feel like there's room for him to be in there and he's still in there with the ball, looking for a pass, still keeping it, and then he doesn't find a pass, so he just moves out again and just keeps hold of the ball. I don't know how he does it. Um, I don't know why he's passed me the mic, because neither do I. <laughs> so I'm not sure there's a whole lot I can, um, I can do to explain it, but it's, it's majestic to watch, isn't it? Is, um, I think Kieran said it, that low centre of gravity, quick feet where you know, other players might take one touch to beat somebody, and he seems to take about 100, because it, I mean, it looks nicer, and it's that, that close control, absolutely unbelievable. Um, there's times when, you know, he's not the same kind of player, but there's times in the way he beats a man, it's reminiscent of Lionel Messi. Now, clearly, he's not a Messi-type player. He's never going to score as many goals as Messi, but his movement, that drop of the shoulder and, and making someone almost disappear without knowing where they've gone, it, it does remind you, it reminds me a little bit of Messi at times. Um, he, he can jink in and out of anything, and it's just... Yeah, the word I used before is majestic to watch. As you, as David Silva moves on and comes to an end, Bernardo to me is the player that, if he plays well, you've justified your ticket money. It's just fantastic. I think he justified the prize tag purely at Old Trafford last season as well. Like the last two minutes of that game when he just kept running, he was through on goal. He ran in the box and just went. No, I'll just run back to the corner flag. That, 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 to me, that to me justified the whole thing. He just gets it. <laughs> Get out of it. <laughs> um, Leon, I want to talk about Vincent Company because, um, as we found out this week, he's, he's leaving City um, uh, this summer. He's had 11 years at City. How do you sum up his time at City? He's just, he, it's just incredible. You use the right word. It's an incredible story. Um, I mean, if you think about his journey before City, um, when he was a 19-year-old, playing in Anderlecht's first team and he's, he had a breakdown, he had a physical breakdown at the age of 19 um, and you look at the size of the guy as well, so what kind of work were they putting him through for him to have a breakdown, to come back and have the career he's had and to wrap it up with arguably the best goal the Etihad's ever seen, um, it's just truly remarkable and not only that, he's, he's, a, he's a truly wonderful human being, um, he's really taken to um, being a mank, if you like. He's come here and he's tried to make a difference. He cares about people. Um, and I think he definitely proves that um, the best footballers are um, the best people. I mean, for you guys, can you bear to see him go? I'm genuinely gutted he's going. I think the, I'll, I'll end up having to pass the mic to somebody else just because... Um, not, not. I just think that... When the last time I did the podcast was like three or four weeks ago, me and Gaz, and it just by sheer coincidence, we just happened to talk about enjoying him strutting back to his own half after he scored a goal and like waxing lyrical about how much he means to us and stuff like that. And I'll be honest with you, there's a few times where I thought he was gone. Like, you know, with the injuries and stuff like that, I, I had pretty much said, look, I can't see a way back from him. But every time it was time and time and time and again. And it just, it just feels too soon. It's, it's too soon for me, this. I I think 
at least another two years. We des- not that we deserve, but like I just want another two years of him. Do you know what I mean? Like the th- this end of season thing where he he played like four or five really important games on the bounce. He can't do that all the time, but like but he's there if you need him. And th- there is going to be a little a little piece missing next season. I think. Yeah, I um I, I couldn't agree more. I'm not um. I'm not too embarrassed to say that when I was flicking through my Twitter feed on Tuesday, uh, su- Sunday even, tu- Tuesday, today, isn't it? Yeah, um, when I was flicking through my Twitter feed on, on Sunday morning, still looking at the pictures from winning the FA Cup and, and reading all the reaction to that from Saturday. And the first thing I saw was, I think it was a, a tweet that just said Vinny and a sad face. And then the next tweet above it was the official statement from City. And like, not embarrassed to say, I got a little bit choked up. Because like, this is a guy that... Um, it's very hard to explain, isn't it? The the sort of relationship that you as a paying fan can have with a, a millionaire footballer. But every now and then, a player comes along. And, you know, all clubs have experienced it, I'm sure, with, with different players. A player comes along who, um, like, like Leon said, takes just takes the city on a bit more and ingratiates himself. He refers to himself as the honorary mank. We've, he's met his wife and children here, and, but obviously met his children here. <laughs> <laughs> be weird if you met them somewhere else, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, he met his wife here and had his children here. Um, and he's... <laughs> He's a City fan, isn't he? I mean, the thing with Vincent Company is he could sit on this panel and he'd be as much a City fan as any of us, or he could sit in the room and listen and he'd, he'd be as much a City fan as anybody in the audience today, as much a City fan as anybody at that parade yesterday. He loves the club. He's gone through... I think his story's better for the problems that he's had because my... You always think, God, imagine he'd, had, he'd not had the injury problems. Imagine he'd not only been able to play 13, 14 games a season for the last three, four years. He'd have been the best player in the league, each or the best defender in the league, each one of those seasons. But actually, story's better for the get knocked down twenty times, stand up twenty-one. Or I mean, how many injuries did he have? It's about forty in the end, wasn't it? It's, it's just an absolutely remarkable story, and he's topped it off with a unique achievement. And he's been at the very heart of it, and not just at the heart of it. It literally couldn't have happened without him. Um, and I will, I mean, I will miss him. I go into City, Karen said there will be a piece missing next season. Going to City next season, knowing that Vincent Company is not going to be in that squad or that you're not going to see him strutting back after a goal or waiting to see if he wins a header in the derby or one of his big tackles or even, you know, line up before a game. There's a, a couple of lads here that we're in a WhatsApp group with who quite often predict a company red card <laughs> before if he, if he lines up against a fast striker. He usually ends up doing the business instead. And he's just, yeah, it's, um, it's a package that doesn't come along very often. And we are extremely lucky that Vincent Company has been part of our club. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll miss him. I don't know what else to say about him. You mentioned Sterling before, Kieran. Uh, Leon, your first podcast was the week after the Chelsea game where, where Sterling was uh, racially abused. I mean, uh, this season, he, he's, really gr- he's really grown off the pitch, hasn't he, in the, in the eyes of everybody else. I mean, City fans, everybody in this room knows what he was about from years before that. But, but he's, he's really taken on a, a life of his own outside of City, hasn't he? Um, well, I don't think it's any coincidence that um, he left Liverpool to come to Manchester City and he's been surrounded by probably a group of players that, um, you know, we talk about Vincent Company, but if you look at the group of players that came, uh, what, eight years ago or so, um, your Agueros, your David Silvers, your Zabaletas, you know, people who really get the club and really get the people of the club, um, you know, for Raheem to come to City at the time he did, he can only learn. And I think this season he's, he's grown into a fine young man 
um, he's going to have to, with, with that, he's going to come a lot of responsibility and he's going to be under even more scrutiny. Impossible, I know, but, you know, he's, he's going to be right under scrutiny now and um, he's going he's to have to shoulder that responsibility and take it on. Um, but in terms of playing, I said in October, as early as October, he's going to be the difference between um, Champions League and no Champions League. And if you look at the game against Liverpool on that night, he was a whisker away from being the difference, an absolute whisker. Um, so for me, he's only going to get better. Um, and Guardiola does make people better, as you say. Um, I, I can't speak highly enough of him. He's 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 pushed the boat out this season and, and really kicked on in his standards. His numbers are, are, are pretty similar to last season, um, but I'd argue he's had a better season. I'd say um, to mention that that Spurs quarter final, the way that the way that he he almost was like looking around. The, obviously, like this is putting a narrative there, like a whatever but it's basically like he was looking around the pitch like when he scored that first one or whatever and it's like get on my level like literally we are we are in the crap here get on my level because like he, he just he just seemed to believe like there's absolutely no matter what anyone any other city player on the pitch was going to do that night he was just like obviously it didn't work out but he's just like he was going to do absolutely everything in his power to to go through and it was just it was it was just just look, looking at somebody with that sort of level of self-belief and confidence and you just think, like, I, la last year I don't think he had that. Like, I think last year, like, a lot of people were saying, like, we, we all believed him and we were, like, bigging him, and we'd been bigging him up for a long time and saying how good he was and this, that and the other. But it, it did seem a bit last season where he, he, he kind of might have maybe thought, oh, this is, this is a one-off or whatever. But, like, this season it's like, no, I'm going to show you that I'm one of the best players in the world. And that Spurs game, his attitude in that game just really epitomised it to me. It was literally just, it like literally just had the bit between his teeth. It was an, a ridiculous performance, and obviously one that sh should have been deserving to go through. But you know, ifs, buts, and maybe's, isn't it? Last season, he was mainly from the right, getting the ball across from the right, uh, right flank, getting at the back post, and and, and getting the tap-ins. Richard, um, this season, when you see him in the starting eleven. You didn't know if he was going to be left or right. As late in the season as the 6-0 win over Chelsea, I was still disappointed to see him lining up on the left, um, which is, I think, proven as my error of judgment and not Pep's. Um, that game, for me, was the one where, you know I've been a big Raheem Sterling fan for a long time. Probably defended him at times when I should have given him a bit more criticism, a bit blinded by being a bit of a fanboy at times. But that game was the first one where I thought, like this lad is he's world class now there is there is nothing left to prove there's a you know a career to go on and have and maintain that level but there is nothing left to prove as to what his quality is he gave Azpilicueta one of the, the best right backs that probably the Premier League's ever had um, a world class defender you know absolutely torrid time couldn't live with him City won 6 nil, and Sterling was at the absolute heart of every part of that um, and that, to me, again, you know, I should have seen it sooner. It's not a great bit of insight, but that to me was where I thought, yeah, actually, he can come off the left, and he's got, um, he's just got the whole package now. And yet, there are things that I would still say he can improve on. He can still, 
um, he can still be more consistent for 90 minutes. I think the, uh, his hat-trick against Watford in the league, he scored all that in the second half. His first half was absolutely terrible and Pep made, was quick to say that after the game. And you wonder, you know, that was quite a frustrating game. Had he been on it in the first half, we might have put that to bed a lot, lot sooner. Now in the end, I think it was a 3-0 win. It, it doesn't really matter. But just getting that, he's already very consistent but he can up it, and I think to me that's the most exciting thing about him, um, or at least about what he does on the pitch, um, because it's great and he could be greater. I think you, you're looking at a player who, he, he's already one of the best in the world, but he can really, as Ronaldo and Messi fade away eventually, um, he can he can set himself the top of that table, I think. I, I can't speak highly enough of him. There's probably not going to be a player that I'll criticise tonight, to be fair, so you know it's not saying much, but it's still <laughs> it's a special case. Gonna say that's going to be one of my uh, keep come back to comments, like the uh, the Guardiola best piece of recruitment thing. Um, Richard, you mentioned the the win over Chelsea, the six 0 win. That was in that game, Aguero got a hat trick. I think that was the game where he levelled Shearer's Premier League record. Um, Leon, how has Guardiola made Aguero a better player? Because he was pretty damn good before Guardiola arrived. Let's be honest. I think he's um, he's encouraged him and, and shown him a way um, of playing in terms of desire. Because I, I remember a story of Aguero first coming to City. Um, I think David Platt went to Mancini and they were talking about him and they said, oh, he's not a very good trainer, he's this kid we've signed. And then he comes on against Swansea and does his bit and the rest is history. Um, for me, he's the... He's probably the best striker I've seen in the Premier League. He's He's got everything. He will. I mean, he's short. He's stocky. He'll roll people. He'll he'll go past them with, in a blink of an eye. He'll hit it off his left foot. Um, he'll hit one. That one he does where he hits it near post and high. Yeah, yeah. Who who does that? <laughs> you know, um, he's he's just an outrageous striker, an outrageous footballer. Um, and I don't know is the answer. I don't know how Guardiola's made him a better player, but he has, um, because again, he he just keeps on producing. I'm I'm just wondering how many years he's got left. Because he plays at, he plays at such an intensity when he's got the ball, especially. How, how long has he got left doing that? And I, I, it'll be sad to see it go, but I'm just enjoying it while it's here. He's, he's a fantastic striker. That intensity off the ball has been there this season as well, Kieran. I, I, there's one incident that springs to mind, and it's chasing Ashley Young down in the in the derby at Old Trafford. Just and he, he won a throw in, and that was it. And he's like, it was almost as good as a goal for him. I think he's always had that in him, but he maybe used to do it like once or twice a game and now he does it eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen times a game and i think it's sort of it, it, it is pretty obvious that he didn't get on with guardiola when he when when he first came not like falling out or anything like that but it's clearly he wasn't doing whatever needed to be done in training like leon said or whatever or this that and the other and it seems like he's just i think i think guardiola's challenged him and i think that's what's made him better because he like he's not somebody who would ever back down from any sort of challenge. He's just sort of like, all right, I'm going to prove you wrong here. I'm I'm going to be whatever. Stri I'm I'm not just going to be whatever striker you think that I need to be for this team. I'm going to be even better than that. And I think that's what he's showing this season. Um, to pick up on Leon's point about how long he can keep going, I really hope it's a long time yet. But he made his debut when he was 15. He's 30 now. He's been he's been a he's been a professional footballer half his life. And you look at, you know, like obviously like Sanchez now, who just basically just fell off a cliff when they hit 29, just nonsense. You just hope, you just hope that 
he sort of has the longevity of somebody like obviously nowhere near the level of Aguero as a player but like Bellamy kept his speed when he was still like 33 34 whereas like the majority of players like Owen and people like that and we've seen with Sanchez they generally players who are like pretty quick and strong and stuff like that they fall off a cliff and you just can't see it coming with Aguero. He looks like he's got three or four years left in him, and I hope that he has those three or four years with City. He, um, he like like Kieran said, there he's he's been a you know he's been a, a top class player for a long time. Richard, uh, the All or Nothing documentary told us he was playing injured for for quite a long time. How much of this season do you think has been the fact that he hasn't ha- hasn't been carrying that injury? Yeah, I mean it's it has to be a big big part of it. It's I mean that. Knowing that he was playing injured for five years, and obviously we've seen him miss a fair bit of football through injury, so it wasn't the biggest surprise in the world. But to hear him say that he'd been playing in pain for five years, one, it just throws um, it throws his achievements into a different context. Because to do that, for anybody to play like Aguero has if they were fully fit all the career, um, would be incredible anyway. To do it when you're not shows quite a lot about his dedication and professionalism as well and how much he just wants to be on the pitch, how much he wants to be scoring goals and how much he wants to be a winner. Um, I think this season, knowing that he's fit and, and seeing I think his work rate has improved. That's not to say that he wasn't working hard before, but it's, it's work rate in a different way now. He's, he's a lot more selfless. He plays a lot more with his back to goal. You'll see him a lot more in the channels where he's not going to get a personal reward from that. It's, it's going to be tiring. The Ashley Young thing's the perfect example. Um, you know, nobody's going to be talking about that in end-of-season highlights apart from you know, a, f- a few City fans. But, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not going to be on Premier League years, is it? Like in a few years when they're looking back at how City won the league. But actually, it's emblematic of the desire that's in the whole team and Aguero's leading that from the front now and he's very very much Pep's player when you think that I mean Pep finally admitted it this season that when Jesus came in he was um, he was Pep's number one and that was a problem for Aguero I think that you know looking back that's pretty obvious now it's hard to see where Jesus really gets in into a big game if Aguero's fully fit because Aguero's just a better player than him um, and yeah, the, the, the fitness is, is a huge part of that. It, it must be a huge relief to him as well. You think it must change how he feels going onto a pitch, not just physically, but mentally. If you're not worrying about, is this the game where I'm going to break down? Um, I think that's huge. City fans love a youngster coming through the uh, the ranks. Uh, Phil Foden this season has, has come on leaps and bounds. He's, uh, he's got his first Premier League goal against Spurs, the decisive one. Um, Leon, you've, I w- I'm not going to say you, you've gone through the academy in the same vein because it was a very different beast when you were there. Um, but what what does it mean to to go through the academy and then get onto the pitch? Um, it's it's culmination of all your hard work, um, and in in truth, I mean, I don't know what the lads are like now these days because um, they're very privileged now. You know, there's a lot there's a lot for them now. Um, but when I was what, 11, 12, all the way up to sixteen, I couldn't believe someone was going to pay me to play professional football. That just didn't. You know, you were going to pay me to kick a ball about. It just didn't register at all. Um, it's a lot different now, um, but that kid there is is something special. Um, I've watched him play for England under 16s and 17s in that group when you've got Jane Sancho, um, you've got Angel Gomez, you've got um, um, Adoy, you know, Sessegnon. And he's probably the top two, one of the top two in that group. He's a fantastic little player um, and he... He instantly gets it because he's from around here. So I was a bit, I remember we talked about it was it his first goal, <laughs> and I said I was so disappointed with the. He scored his goal, and I thought, right, I want to see the crowd going mad. 
and it just didn't happen. I thought um, I was a bit disappointed. I was, but then he got the the Spurs goal, um, which kind of made up for it. Um, but he, he is honestly, he's going to be David Silver-esque, in my opinion. You heard it here first. We'll uh, we'll take the credit for that one. Um, he, it's. Just watching him play, Richard, he he just fits in. He just he, he you don't know some some of the games that he's played. You've not noticed that he's been a youngster in the middle of this this superstar team. Yeah, and I think that's just about the greatest compliment that you can pay him. It doesn't matter whether it was last season um, getting a minute here and there. He came on. He looked confident. He looked composed. He wanted the ball. There was no hiding. There was no feeling his way into playing in front of big crowds. Um, he just he just wanted the ball, he just wanted to be there. And then this season, taking on the responsibility of, okay, it might have been a cup star away at Oxford, which, you know, when he looks back on his career, that's that's not going to rank in his top games, is it? But is um, he was brilliant in that game. I think the Oxford manager at the time said, we had a plan, and then Foden played his first pass and we knew that we couldn't execute the plan. And he was, um, you know, he, he was magnificent. And it must have been frustrating for him at times this season. He must think that he deserves more playing time because he always comes on and does the business. But he's obviously got some very, very good players ahead of him that the club have invested a lot of money in. Um, so th- it makes that pathway a little bit harder for him. But he is muscling his way in. And I take Pep at face value when he says how important Phil Foden's going to be, when he says that he's going to play even more minutes next season. And I don't know what could be a bigger sign of Pep's faith in him that he threw him into that Tottenham game. He'd already started at home to Cardiff, which was a big game anyway in the title running. We had to win it. Um, but again, at home to Cardiff isn't quite the same as at home to a Spurs team who just put us out of the Champions League. Um, he threw him in and he made the difference. And he's scored a goal as important as anybody else's in winning us the league. Uh, so, yeah, he just he wants to be there. He wants the ball. He's, he, he plays... I was going to say he plays like a fan. He doesn't play like I would. Um, but he's... You know, he he does love being there. Um, it's not a Sancho situation where maybe a little bit more inclined to leave when he's not getting the minutes. Foden's got a reason to stick around because this is his dream club. Um, and it does, I think it does mean a little bit more to the fans when you see somebody come through like that. And if he's the trailblazer for youth players making the way into the City team, uh, he's going to be a pretty good one, I think. Now, Kieran, you mentioned before the uh, Newcastle game, we said you thought it was over. I want to. I, th- there's two key games for the City this season, both of them defeats or... One of them was a win, but the, but the defeat the Spurs game. I'm coming to you for this one, yeah. Um, <laughs> how, how key was the reaction to those two defeats, the, going out of the Champions League to Spurs and losing at Newcastle? I think I think it was key because um, because around about Christmas time when we're in like let's say our lull, which is ridiculous in a 98 point season, but the 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 Palace and Leicester games quite came quite close to each other, so it it, did, it didn't seem that we'd we'd got rid of all the cobwebs like from from those games and i think with the with with the with the spurs game i think that was just like that game's like nothing on earth i think you have to take that out of context of any other season it it just doesn't make any sense really um i think you can analyze the newcastle game but you can't analyze the spurs game the the newcastle game was just i genuinely thought it was gone like when we scored after two minutes, I think we just completely took our foot off the gas, and I reckon the bollocking they must have got after that was absolutely ridiculous. Um, I just think there's, I, I I genuinely given up the title at that point, and Liverpool played Leicester the next night, and that game 
has gone under the radar of like they they did exactly what we did the night before. They thought the title was won and they took the foot off the gas against Leicester at Anfield. To draw one all with Leicester at Anfield and that's not Brendan Rodgers' Leicester, that was Puel's Leicester. Like that was that I, I I think that's one of the biggest moments of the season that's sort of like gone under the radar. Like they had the chance to basically sew it up, job done, and they didn't do it because they thought that we were dead and as we've proved, you know, as we proved in 2012, we're never dead. Leon, um, Kyle Walker tweeted after that um, after the Liverpool game uh, to say, uh, I can't remember the exact wording of his tweet, but he said something like, they thought they were going seven points ahead and they didn't. I, it, it takes some confidence to have your belief that you'll close that, that gap down. And, I mean, you've, you've done enough shows with me this season to know that I was a nervous wreck in that title running. Um, but... I mean, what, what does it say about the confidence in the squad? It says a lot. Um, confidence is, is a major factor in, in playing football. 90% um, of the games in your head. Um, you can be the best player in the world. If you have an off day, you have an off day. Simple as that. Um, but this, this squad, it just oozes class. It oozes quality, physicality, um, stamina, speed. It's got absolutely everything. And on top of that, you've got, um, you know, cherry on the pie players like Silva, De Bruyne, who can pick a pass from absolutely anywhere on the pitch and play at an angle that no one else can see. Um, so it, for Kyle Walker to tweet after that game, you know, and be confident enough to tweet after that game, to me it was just, well, yeah, of course, you know. Um, and it, again, it comes from, from Pep. He builds people up and he makes them, he makes them believe they're um, better than what they are, in essence. And, and then they, they kind of raise their level anyway. So the, the confidence in the squad is, is justified. Um, I told you, week in, week out, calm down. You're going to win the league. It's fine. Uh, but the, the main road, City fanning, you came out and said, oh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. So it, you, you, I said to you, enjoy it. <laughs> Try and enjoy it. Because the, the, the year uh, it comes where City may be out of the Champions League or you, you, you have a little bit of a lull, You'll think, oh, I miss that so much. But while you're in it, you're so stressed. You can't enjoy it, so just relax. Okay. <laughs> I'll have a go. I can't make any promises. Um, Richard, final question for, for the first part to you. Um, just because, obviously, after the, the League Cup win and then the title win, um, it would have been very easy for City to, to coast through that FA Cup final. We know Guardiola doesn't let them do that. But then to rock up and get the joint record FA Cup final score, I just it caps off a wonderful season. Well, I don't know if you've heard, David, but um, since Saturday, English football's dead. There is, there is no such thing as competitive football left in this country. It's an absolute disaster for City to go out and beat a team 6-0 in an FA Cup final. Um, and we should be thoroughly ashamed of ourselves. That said, I really enjoyed it. It was... Um, <laughs> I, I th they were they were fantastic. Um, it, I thought for the first 20 minutes or 25 minutes that they weren't particularly good. Um, and then I came out of the game after thinking, we've just won 6-0. And I don't know if this is just a little bit of, like if this is complacency setting in in me now, where if we've not put a team to bed in the first 15 minutes or we've not had a clear-cut chance, do I suddenly think we're playing bad? Like City have changed my expectations, I think, of what I expect of, of a football team now. Um, I quite easily get bored watching other teams because they don't try and play it like City. And um, th th they could go out and do that. I think we spoke about it on the, the, the pre-FA Cup final show. Could it be an after-the-Lord Mayor's show? 
it never could be because there was there was something on the table for them to take that nobody else had ever had. We saw it last season in the for people who've watched the All or Nothing documentary. We saw how when the league was already done, Pep put the records on a board and motivated them to go and play for something that didn't really matter. It was you know it was a pride thing and almost being selfish and greedy wanting those records. This time they actually had something else to play for, a cup that they'd not won since 2011, a cup that started all this off for us, it was our first trophy in 35 years, still a few players in the squad that remember that and remember that feeling, remember what it was like to lose one of them in 2013 and get to take, it doesn't matter now, it doesn't matter if another team goes and wins the domestic treble next season, City will always be the first to do it um, and, and taking something unique is um, it's something for, for those players and that manager and everybody for City to be proud of, even if the rest of the country doesn't like it. Funnily enough, like, uh, like Richard said, nobody saw a 6-0 coming in the FA Cup final. So uh, it's for the charity bet this season, we finish on £1,063. And I have to say £1,063 because uh, I've been saying 1018 all season. Uh, I did my maths wrong. Um, so uh, it is actually £1,063. To put that into context, that's uh, it's our second best season. Uh, first season, 1617, uh, £1,350. Second season last year was uh, 875 This season was 1063 It brings the total that we've raised for the Christie uh, to £3,288 over three seasons. <laughs> and because I like to use this bit to, to embarrass some people... Um, I, I'm, I'm just going to say it, you know what, I won five times this season, uh, <laughs> nobody else won more than once, um, Richard you got one, uh, you got our lowest total of the season, for the biggest win, uh, he's not here tonight, but uh, Jonathan Smith, uh, he won his first ever uh, charity bet this season, uh, with a 4-0 win over West Ham, so, uh, so well done to him, uh, I know Sam Roscoe's not been, he, he might listen to this, I don't, know if he, I don't know if he'll have time in his new jet set lifestyle, um, but I know he, uh, we, have a, we, we had a competition every year between us, who could win, who could raise the most on, on our shows. Uh, I've had seven wins on my shows this season. Sam, who left at the start of February, had six. So um, I, I don't know, I don't know what, what that says for next season is that we're in trouble, I think. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going to take a short break now. Uh, hopefully try and get the microphone sorted so we can have another one and, and head out into the audience. Get yourself a drink. Uh, we'll be back with you soon. Thank you. Please give us your backing patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast so welcome back to the blue moon podcast live In this part of the show, we'll be looking ahead to next season and the summer itself. Um, I'm going to start with, with a little mini reflection on next season, though, Richard, because back-to-back uh, -back titles, a domestic treble, a mini quadruple, as, uh, as Guardiola called it. Um, there's no doubt that this City team is now a great of the Premier League era. Um, yeah, we were told, uh, we heard all through last season, didn't we, that actually the mark of greatness wasn't winning a league by 19 points and it wasn't getting 100 points in a season. Actually, it was winning back-to-back -back leagues, uh, something which, I've said it before, no team's done for a decade. Um, the City themselves had never done. They hadn't defended a trophy at all uh, until February. So, um, yeah, they have now. I think th th there's no barrier that anybody can put up or, or reason that anybody can now argue that this City team isn't, isn't a great one. It's probably the best that the country's ever seen. To average 99 points over two seasons is... Um, you know, it's, it's truly extraordinary um, and something that you, 
probably never really expected to see in English football because um, it's an extremely competitive league. Um, City have risen above that and to to add to it the other two domestic trophies and a reasonable crack at the Champions League, I'm sure we'll probably talk about Champions League, but they, they had a good go in the quarter-final, little fractions go against you and it, you know, if they don't then we could be looking forward to a trip to Madrid now. Um, obviously they weren't and if buts and maybes don't really count for a lot. Uh, but yeah, it is, it is legitimately a great team. I'm actually going to do the boy band thing and stand up um, just because it, it seems a lot easier while we've, uh, while we've got a cable like this. Um, Kieran, I mean, Richard touched on it there, the Champions League. How important is that for City next season? I think you'd have to quantify that with how important is it for City or how important is it for the fans. Um, for the for the fans, I think for a lot of fans it is a massive deal and some are absolutely desperate for us to win it. If you were offering me now again, would I rather a third title in a row or a Champions League, I'd pick the title. Um, I think a few years ago I would have been in the majority. I think I'm probably edging towards being in the minority now. I think a lot of fans do see that Champions League is like the completion of a set. I think as a club, in terms of the way that they view it, in terms of stature, there's no doubt that it has been that has always been the club's aim is to is to make the Champions is to win the Champions League. I think you saw that with Chelsea, um, with their desperation for it for a number of years as a quote unquote nouveau riche club. Uh, I think we've we we're now falling into that bracket, and I think obviously like bias is probably going to come into it, but I think we are probably objectively on on paper, the best team in Europe. But anyone can knock anyone out on their day. And we, we we just didn't do enough. We didn't deserve to go through against Spurs because we just didn't do enough. And I think until until we do get that monkey off our backs, I think it, it might be the kind of thing where once we do win one Champions League, it, it could be a domino effect. Once we've got that, got it out of our system and done it, I think you could just see two, three, four within within a similar style to what Real Madrid have knocked them off in the past decade. Be interesting though, Leon, to see how the goalposts get moved again. Because, like Richard said, you know, for first year they they won the league by the biggest ever points. Points I had not not a great side. Won back to back leads, and, and there'll be a reason why that's not the great. So it's the Champions League. They're not they're not a great side. Uh, so what what if they do the set next season? Are, are they still? What's the reason for them not being a great side then? Um, jealousy. <laughs> um, listen, I think you. Uh, I think City fans have got to be really careful and not get rid and um, too grumpy about this. Because it's it's as simple as this. You're very successful, you're very good, and people are jealous of that. So they're going to write nasty things about it. That's the basis of it, and they're going to say nasty things. Um, be comforted in the fact you've just won a mini quadruple, a fantastic second season in a row, and winning the league, um, involved in possibly one of the top three greatest Champions League games of all time. Um, you know, you've you've had an unbelievable season. Emotions up and down. Um, enjoy it, and um, you know, <laughs> any kind of criticism you get, be be assured that it's coming from a place of jealousy. That's it. Richard, we're talking about the Champions League being important for for City next season. Um, of course, they have to be in it. What do you make of the financial fair play stuff? And and the chances are that that City might not be in the Champions League. Would that affect you? Uh, well, yeah, I'd have Tuesday and Wednesday nights free for a start. Wouldn't be a terrible thing. Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, it's not going to be next season, is it? Because whatever happens, if, if they get banned, I'm sure they'll appeal it. Um, I'm not overly concerned. I think 
you know, I, I don't think we can bury our head in the sands about it. There is, there is something there to investigate, and it might be that City are exonerated and that they're found innocent of wrongdoing, and obviously I massively, massively hope that that's the case. Um, but there is something there to be investigated. Um, the leaks didn't come from nowhere. Um, but City's accounts have been audited before. They've got past UEFA before, they, as I understand it, and, you know, I'm... I'm not going to claim to be an expert on this but this is stuff that has already been across UEFA's desk they've looked at it before um, I think there's potential for this to cause a massive challenge against the whole principle of FFP anyway that City might well win um, I think there's a long way to go with this that it's very hard as a, I know this is a really boring answer but as a lay person it's really hard to actually analyse in any great detail um, for City as a club it would be a disaster not to be in the Champions League it is I mean I'm very much on Kieran's side and if we are in the minority fine but I, w I will always choose the Premier League over the Champions League because it's your biggest to quality it matches you against your opponents in a better way um, but the Champions League is hugely prestigious and that is for City as a club as a brand I know it's not what we're here as fans to think about but you know the, the global brand that City are trying to be um, it's massive and they want to win it and you can't do that if you're not in it um, and that'll probably be the most obvious point I make tonight um, so I hope they're not kicked out of it but I think there's a long long way to go um, and there's a lot to be revealed, yeah, I would imagine. And City's, I'm sure we've all read it, City's statement was about as strongly worded a statement as I've ever seen from a club, particularly against a governing body. And if that isn't reason to be confident because City are confident, then um, I don't know what is. You also mentioned before about the competitiveness of, uh, of the league and, and the idea that um, City being as dominant as they are is, is bad for English football. Um, but is it actually fair to say that the league has been is uncompetitive? Because I mean, just just looking at it in, in, with with a obviously with a blue tinted specs on, but Liverpool went very close to City this season. They had an extraordinary season, yeah, but they went very close. But for a couple of penalty shootout wins, City might not have won the League Cup. They, you know, there were teams close to the to knocking them out there. You know, Swansea were unlucky with the decisions that that City benefited from in the FA Cup, and Tottenham knocked them out of the Champions League. So on, an, on another season, we could be sitting here talking about all those near misses. See, I, I'm, I, I get that, but I'm really wary of that because I think that's doing down our achievements to some extent, like sort of like dismissing things and saying that you only won it on a penalty shootout or we only got through because of it. Like, yeah, the Swansea game, like anyone here watching that Swansea game ever think that we, even though, yeah, we were in trouble and it always looked like no matter what we needed to do in that game, we were going to do whatever we needed to do. Um, winning on penalties and things like that loads, loads of teams have won competitions on penalties it doesn't come down nobody remembers that's how it's done um, apart from the victors um, I think to sort of do we can't use the anti-competitive angle on one side and say that we only just about won it because of this but we did win it because of our grit and our determination and we shouldn't be doing down our own achievements just because some arseholes in the media are worried about anti-competitiveness in the league, which, as we all know, is, is just it's rubbish. No one was on about this when United were dominating in the 90s. I'm sure no one, when, you know, when I wasn't born, was on about this when Liverpool were dominating in the 70s and the 80s. It just, it's just an absolute nonsense and... it. 
I don't think half the time, I don't think half the stories would have come out if we beat Watford 2-1 the other day. It's just because we won 6-0 and like Leon said, it's just a lot of it is absolute pure jealousy. And I don't think that's, you know, an agenda thing or whatever. But I think I think there is a there's there's a lot of there's been a lot of strange stuff that's come out this week. I find the financial fair play stuff incredibly tedious. We get kicked out, whatever. It's a year. I'm, you know, does it really matter? And it's like, but like the this this the 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 strange moving of moral compasses that that that's been in the media. I've talked on the podcast several times before. I feel really uncomfortable with our ownership. Um, I don't agree with it. I don't. I, th- I think that I do have to separate part of my my brain compared to me my football fandom, but I think there's no ethical consumption under capitalism anyway. So what's the sodding point? You support you 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 support a sorry, you support a football team to get away from the daily day to day drudgery of this shite, and the fact that it's just constantly dragged into our season, I just find incredibly tedious. Well, that was an argument you were expecting to hear this evening, but uh, <laughs> but there you go. Um, Leon, for for City and and the the allegations of final financial fair play, the, the allegations of financial wrongdoing, will that ever take the gloss off this? It won't. It never do it for City fans, but will it do it for people outside of the club? I think there uh, certainly will be uh, detractors. Yeah, there'll be people who'll say, "Oh, um, you know, this this success isn't warranted. Um, how dare you be so good?" Um, but. <laughs> The bottom line is, the people that are actually looking into City, are they not corrupt themselves anyway? Do they not have a corrupt organisation? So it's the pot calling the kettle black. It's absolutely ridiculous. I just think that um, people are looking for an excuse now um, to diminish your achievements and and talk down on, on, on the achievements of Manchester City. Um, on the football pitch and off it because don't forget you know and I know you don't agree with with the ownership but they have I mean if you look at Eastlands now compared to what it used to be yeah. it's a beautiful place you go to that side of Manchester you go I mean am I in Beswick really yeah. <laughs> what? so um, even the library <laughs> <laughs> even the library no they're, they're doing um, you know as a, as a business as a football club um, they're they're doing things within the community which they should do um, they're producing on the pitch. They're, you know, I don't think there are many City fans from the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s that could ever have dreamed of what's going on right now. Um, when, um, I mean, I ball boyed on the day City went down into the championship, drawing 2-2 at Liverpool um, at Main Road. Now, I know because I, I, I remember standing in the stadium. That was the very first time as a young lad, I think I was only about 12, 13 at the time. That was the first time. The, the noise, the roar when, um, when a goal goes in, you know, there's nothing like that energy. But um, that the energy on that day was something else because it was that close and the way it happened and the, the, the sombre atmosphere inside Main Road and it was just, no one spoke. We all went in, we all sat down, nobody spoke. It was really weird. Um, so I can't, I, you know, any City fan from that time finding themselves in this position now and seeing the way things are, um, you know, you've just got to rejoice, you know? And people are going to, they're going to attack you from every angle. They're going to attack um, any achievement you make. They're going to attack any move you make. Guardiola isn't stupid. He will have a mini clear out 
and I say mini clear out, you know, Vincent Company will leave, a um, couple of other players might be sold and he will get quality in again. He will go again for next season um, and so be it. And, and rightly he should because um, at the moment City are basically saying to everyone, catch us if you can. And that's the way it should be. That's, that's what competition is. It's worth saying as well, it always works in cycles. So, I mean, as, as good as City are, they won't always be this good. So uh, enjoy it while you can, which is, I think, Leon might agree, it's a bit fucking rich coming from me. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, Leon, you, you mentioned next season. Uh, now's a good time to, to kind of look into that. We know Vincent Company's leaving. Uh, we heard on the podcast from Guillaume Balaguer a few weeks ago that uh, it's likely Fernandinho will drop into to centre-half. Otamendi might be on his way. It feels like this summer might be, there might be a bit of upheaval, Richard. Yeah, well, it's not just um, sort of the natural churn of refreshing in the summer. We're pretty much refreshing from two seasons of not doing that. Because, OK, obviously last season we did make one signing. Um, you can't discount spending £60 million on one footballer. But the reality is that Riyad Mahrez didn't make that big a difference. Um that's not to slag him off. I like Mares, but would City have been significantly worse without him? Um, probably not. There were still players that could play his position. It was a not necessarily the most necessary signing. Um, this year, there are positions that they could look to improve. I think we know that they're probably not going to look to improve left back in the summer, but they could do. We're still we've still got an injury-prone fifty million pound fullback, and a lad playing there who isn't his natural position. Um, Right back, you wonder, are we going to hold on to Danilo? He spent two seasons now as a, as a backup. The only chance that he got, well, he, he did fine, but the only chance that he got was because Kyle Walker fell massively out of form and Danilo was essentially brought in to get Walker back into form as a bit of a kick up the backside. So we might be looking for a backup right back there. Um, obviously, we're going to need centre-backs. Like you say, Otamendi's uh, almost certainly going to be off um, and company, so that's potentially two centre-backs we need unless Garcia steps up. But I think we know that that's, he's probably not going to be trusted to that level just yet. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of refreshing to do. The, the Fernandinho replacement issue won't go away, despite Gundogan having a great second half to the season. We don't even know if he's going to renew his contract. We don't know if Sané is going to sign one. Um, so for a team that's just won back-to-back titles, there is, I think, a lot of unknowns in the squad at the moment. We've, we might be losing um, some legitimately great players. And if Sané were to go, we might be about to, for the first time in this era, experience a player who's going to have had a good time at City and go on and actually prove his greatness elsewhere. Um, that's a hell of a loss to replace. I mean, I'm supposing there. I don't want to get too much into how do you replace Sané before he's gone. Um, but there is potential. Um, and City are going to have to go and spend money again. So I think you'd anticipate at least three or four signings and the... They're not going to come cheap again, are they? So it's a, it's a huge summer. Kieran, like, like Richard said, the contracts of, of Gundogan and, and Sane are not yet resolved. They've been going on for a while. Um, we have heard that, that Gundogan has reopened talks after, after closing talks. I mean, that's a key one, isn't it, there? Yeah, definitely, because I think the last time um, the last time I was on the show, I was um, making one of my you know, final statements saying he's gone. Like, you know, but obviously, you know, I'm... I'm wrong quite often, um, <laughs> but I, I, like, I, I really want Gundogan to stay. <clears throat> I think he's, I think he's been vital in the past few months, um, and I think this is this time, this time of the year. Regardless of if you're good or you're shy, I think every every football fan falls into the same thing, and no matter how sort of like cool or whatever you try and pretend to be about transfers and stuff like that, 
absolutely everyone in this room now thinks about, oh, what if we got him in? What if we got him in there? What if we got him in there? Like, everyone does it. And I think this is the type of season. And, you know, the, a whole, there's been a whole industry built off it in the past 10, 15 years of transfer talk, of just making up nonsense left, right and centre. But I think we are all guilty of it at one point or another. And there are, as, as Richard mentioned, there are lots, there are lots of th things that are uncertain for this season. Um, I don't think a left-back's coming in, even though I'd want one. Um, by all accounts, apparently, Rodri, and I, I have no idea what the guy's like, really, to be honest with you. Um, you know, 15, 20-year-old may be absolutely ashamed of myself for not knowing one of Atletico Madrid's best players, but I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm not as clued up on European football these days. But if, if, if they're identifying him and they trust him, they've clearly gone for a player with, a, with an easy buyout clause to save this back-and-forth nonsense all summer. Um, and it, it does it, it does feel that they need somebody in with company going. They need they need that big character, and you just you do hope that maybe it is it is the licked. It, it's it, it's unlikely, but I think that would be a massive statement and make a huge difference in that dressing room. Now, Leon, we've we've talked about the financial fair play stuff with UEFA. We've talked about uh, you know the idea that that city have ruined football by by going out and buying whatever the whatever the hell they want. When you look back at, at City's transfers in the last few years, they have actually missed out on a lot of the targets that they wanted. So, how crucial is it that they get this summer right? One misstep and Liverpool are on your tail. Um, I think this this transfer window is going to be one of the possibly one of the, the craziest we might have seen, and I'm talking in terms of. European football, world football maybe. Um, I think there are going to be some big transfers. Um, the interesting thing about City is you spent massively on one player. Um, you know, you you tend to find a player before their sort of top-notch, someone like De Bruyne, who had to go back to Germany, or had to go to Germany from Chelsea to prove himself and then to come to City and do what he's doing there. Um, that kind of player is, is sort of reminiscent of, of some of the great sides of Premier League past. So um, I think what's going to be quite quite crucial for City is the middle of the park. I think Gundogan's a, an important player for you. Um, I was very surprised to hear that he might not be signing a contract. He's probably, because of the injuries he's had, he's about 80%, 70% player what he used to be, which is frightening considering how good he still is. Um, so he's going to be very important to you. Fernandinho, he's probably be, be taking Vincent Company's place in the, in the squad as the, the dad of the group with David Silva. Um, so there's big responsibility there. Uh, the kid you're, you're looking at, Rodri, Atletico, he's a top player. Um, but he is. It, <laughs> <laughs> he is, but the thing is, he's going to have to come to England and adapt get used to the pace of the game, get used to the physicality of Premier League. Um, Jesus, what happened to that boy? Because he's no way he's getting in ahead of Aguero at the moment. Sane, another big loss. So I think there's going to be a bit of shuffling to be done and I think he's going to have to get it done right. Um, the lit would be nice for, for you know, a, a centre-half. But for me, I think with his agent, Rayola, he's looking for the biggest payout. And I don't think City, as, as much as they're being um, scolded at the minute for, for their, their, um, their movements in the transfers and, and, and other ways of spending money, um, I don't think City are going to be willing to say, right, we, 
you know we want to take that that player and pay those those kind of sums of money. Um, you only have to look at uh, Alexis Sanchez. You've already mentioned him. He went to United for money. Yeah, yeah. He simply went to United for money. It's best you didn't get him. So. Yeah, a bit of reshuffling, but it don't necessarily have to be the household name that everybody knows or the, the massive signing that everybody craves. It's what's right, what who fits in, um, who who takes Vincent Company's place, who comes in and takes Fernandinho's place if he moves back. Is there going to be another left back because Mendy hasn't proven his fitness over the last couple of seasons? A lot of questions to be asked, but they've probably been thinking about this since last September. Yeah. So we'll worry too much. Now then, next season... Obviously, City last season, uh, season before last, because we have actually finished last season now. Uh, season before last, 100 points, you know, Premier League title, League Cup. Last season, first defence of a, of a title, first defence of a trophy, a, a extraordinary first ever domestic treble. What, what do you expect next season? Everything, obviously. It's the, it's the only way left to go, isn't it? Um, I mean, I was sending you a countdown from about December of how many games it was to win the quadruple. Um, I just didn't tell you which quadruple it was I was counting down to, so I, so I won't admit that I was wrong. Um, I think it's got to be, hasn't it, for the club, as much as we might say we want the league more, the, there has to be an emphasis on the Champions League now because it is, I think Kieran used the phrase before, completing the set, and it would be. Once we've got that in the bag, there isn't really anything left to win. Um, other than, I mean, obviously the Europa League, but hopefully we're not going to be competing for that one anytime soon. Um, but there, there has to be an emphasis on the Champions League. But the problem with it is it is so hard to read because you don't, you know, we, we could have been out in the last 16 if we'd have drawn a better team than we did. We could have progressed maybe if we'd have, if we'd have got Porto in the quarterfinal. We might have had a slightly easier run to the semi-final. You'd, yeah, I think you'd, no disrespect to them, but you'd back City to make pretty light work of Porto in comparison to Spurs. Or if Aguero scores his penalty, that whole tie is different very, very early on. So the Champions League and how you progress through it is incredibly, incredibly hard to benchmark. Um, we've seen a freakish few years from Real Madrid where they won three back-to-back -back and four out of five. Um, and maybe that sets a different expectation for what teams can realistically go in doing it. Because before they won it, back-to-back. Back. Nobody had done it in the Champions League era. Um, it has to be the Premier League. If they don't win the Premier League, it will be a disappointing league season, regardless of how good the, the, the challenges are. Um, the domestic cups, you know, I, I assume that we win the League Cup until told otherwise these days. Um, yeah, they've got a mount of decent defence for every trophy that they've won, the Premier League's priority, and then they have to have a good go at the Champions League, which is all a long-winded way of saying, I don't really know, David. I'm, I'm, I'm just... A I'm I'm not expecting um I'm genuinely not expecting us to have that level of challenge from Liverpool again. I'm not saying that we won't I'm not saying that it won't be a close title race or anything like that, but I'd be stunned if there's two clubs with more than 93 94 points again. Um and again I'm I'm not expecting us cuz to get as easy draws as we have done in, in the in the cups. Because that just that like we have been ridiculously lucky with with the draws this season, um, but I I I think your minimum requirement next year is at least a minimum, it, like which is ridiculous to say as a City fan is two trophies, with with one being the Premier League, and I think even if you won the Premier League with the levels that we've set over the past two seasons and didn't win a another trophy, you'd say that that's a that's below par that season. Um, 
I think I can't tell the future. I know I say stuff's done all the time and uh, and this that and the other, but I, I genuinely I've not got a clue. Like I think especially until you see what again the transfer market's going to make a massive difference. What other teams do and this that and the other and whether you know UEFA pull the finger out and decide to ban us or whatever. You know you don't you don't really know. So yeah, yeah I've not got a clue. Expectations. Um, I think Guardiola's going to want to do better again. Which means the Champions League. Um, it's it's a it's a strange one um, because I think once he's got the Champions League, what's left for him? And he's that kind of guy, isn't he? That well, I've done the Champions League now. I've done the league. I've done the quadruple. Um, I might go and take a rest. So maybe be careful what you wish for. Don't wish for it too soon. Maybe um, enjoy Guardiola a little longer. But I think yeah, overall the the expectation is going to be to do better, and that's the Champions League, as I say. Now, bread and butter is your league. Um, sorry, the league is your bread and butter. Bread and butter is your league. Um, and um, the domestic cups are you know the domestic cups you want to do well in them. Get to Wembley, have a few days out. Um, but the league first and foremost, and then the Champions League will be the biggest challenge next season. Um, It'd be interesting to see if, if Guardiola goes maybe with a different shape, um, especially for Champions League games. Maybe he'll go with a different shape. You never know what, what he's thinking. He's been talking about inverted fullbacks and, you know, fullbacks that step into midfield. Whoever thought of that, you know, is ridiculous. So we don't know where that's going to go. Um, and I'm, in, in terms of the fans, um, I think, you know, City fans are now becoming quite expectant. You know, we expect to be in the top, in the top competitions. We expect to be in the higher, the, the later stages of competitions. Uh, we expect to have games um, like we did against Liverpool at the Etihad and and Spurs at the Etihad. So, um, the expectations are going to rise every year um, until maybe they fall one year, and then you, you need to bring it back up. It's you're on a, a wave now of success, a wave of playing um, some of the best football scene on this land, um, and. You know, the, the players, the squad that you've got, the manager that you've got, uh, um, epitome of excellence. And the, whoever comes in is going to have to have to you know be dragged along and, and get in line with everybody else. I'm going to throw it open to the floor now uh, for questions for the panel. So if you've got questions, stick your hand up. I, I do apologise. I've got a mic on a lead this time. So uh, if I have to do a bit of jiggery-pokery to get to it, then uh, I will do. Uh, yeah, I've got a question for the panel. But just, just a comment, first of all, sort of partly based on my age and these concerns about... Um, City ruining football. The history books will show that City battered football and improved things in the same way. They won't mention the money because the history books, when they talk about Blackburn, they don't talk about Jack Walker's millions bankroll in it. When they talk about the United years, they don't talk about the Edwards family and the dodgy school deals that they talked about in the 70s as supplying the meat to schools. and Because that was a story. So all that will go and all that will be left will be the legacy of the glory years. Right, so my, my question to the panel, just thinking about next season, if we rate Guardiola, say, a 9 out of 10, and we look at our rivals and we give Klopp, to be fair, a good 8.5, close to 9, and we give Pochettino, he's approaching an 8, what do the panel think and where would they rate the challenge from Ollie at the wheel? <laughs> Uh, I'm, um, I'm going to let you guys into a secret now because uh, Leon's a United fan. 
Thanks for that. <laughs> Cheers. You did, you did slip up and say we about two minutes ago, though, yeah. No, well, I have to explain this to people. So um, when I grew up, I grew up, I actually grew up. <laughs> yeah. It's hard, it's hard. Um, no, I, I grew up actually on Lloyd Street, so I could see Main Road from my house. I just wasn't interested in football at the time. I was more into athletics. So it was Daly Thompson and Linford Christie. Then we moved to Fallowfield, um, which was sort of closer to the Armitage. And it was about 10 or 11 um, when I started first taking an interest in football. And by that time, obviously, I was noticing what my dad was watching. And I'd, um, I sat down and I watched the Cup Winners' Cup final, where United beat Barcelona 2-1. Um, and that was me. I was hooked. Mark Hughes, two goals. Um, Mark so, Hughes fan as well. Geez. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I think when I when I was big into football as a youngster, the the rivalry between City and United wasn't there. Um, I would remember signing for the club in '98, and we'd just gone down to the, the third division, and there were 70 pros on on the books. 70 pros. There were there were lads who were seasoned professionals, played 200 games in the league, couldn't get a game couldn't go out on loan, there was just so many players. Um, and that was the, the meat and bones of the club. That was that was mucking in, that was going to Macclesfield or Stockport or wherever you, you went that season to support the team. Um, and I think it's important to, to remember um, those times in these times. Um, and I think it's fantastic now that the city's got um, two clubs that hold uh, two unique trebles in the north um, and you've got um, the, 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 yeah. <laughs> Sorry, all right, all right. But my, my point is that the rivalry was never there when I was younger because the clubs didn't play against each other that often. Don't get me wrong, when we played against United in the resis or the under 18s, uh, regular shouts from the crowd of break his red effing legs um, uh, did tickle me, but it, it, was, it was a job for me. I came to Manchester City. Um, as I say, I was there when they went down from the Premier League and, and felt the emotion of, of all the fans. So I feel a bit of a connection with Manchester City, even though I'm a United fan, um, because I played for the club. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just one of those things. I've never... Uh, I, I, my record, and I know it's not first team, but my record against United is actually very good. <laughs> yeah, it's actually very good. The question was, how shite Solskjaer? <laughs> I nearly got away with it. I nearly got away with it. No, listen, um, he, he has got a mammoth job on his hands because that club is rotten from the top to the bottom. Leon's been incredibly magnanimous, um, but I am happier to play to the gallery um, <laughs> and take, take, the que <laughs> take the question perhaps in the spirit it was asked. Um, <laughs> Solskjaer's a disaster for United and it's hilarious. Um, they have fallen, we spoke a lot about, spend, about the money that City have spent and like, it, it sounds petty and it sounds like Bertie, but it is a genuine... Um, antidote to what City have done. If you want to look how having great resources can, doesn't guarantee success, £75 million on Romelu Lukaku, £86 million on Paul Pogba. What? <laughs> I, I, no, no, it's the fact that you're just like reeling them off. Like it's that. all up there, don't worry, I came prepared. <laughs> <laughs> 
hiring one of the greatest managers of the Premier League era and in not being able to get a tune out of those players and then falling for the trap of hiring a walking, talking version of the 99 treble winners DVD who got... <laughs> Who got Cardiff? <laughs> he got Cardiff relegated, and he's managed Molder. Name me another top club in the world that hires a manager whose record is relegation from the Premier League and winning a Norwegian league. They've fallen into a massive trap. It's like if we hire Paul Dickov. It's it's an absolute disaster for them. And I, long may their wilderness years continue because we we waited what? long enough for this. What was the dig Dickov for? There? <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't a dig, but would you want him as manager? No, no, no. <laughs> Have uh, we got any more questions? Has, pa has Pep really changed the Premier League for the future, for the better, for the English team? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he unquestionably has. I mean, the way that he set the standards. Um, Liverpool don't get 97 points without City. They, they just don't. It, the, the standard that we set by doing 100 points last year, we've changed. It, it, hap it happened in La Liga about 10 years ago. Um, if, if you look back 20 years ago at La Liga, they had four different winners in four years. And then all of a sudden now it's just always Real or Barcelona and the fact that Atletico are up there and managing to keep, up, keep pace with them is just showing a fantastic job by Simeone. But if you look at the points benchmark that they have to set, I mean, a man like Manuel Pellegrini set Real Madrid's points record when he was there and we all know how crap he is. <laughs> but I think... I think that was tongue, it was tongue in cheek, come on. Right, so, but, bas but basically, I think you'll see a new level in the Premier League. Like, Ch Chelsea won the league with, what, 95, 96 points in 2005, 2006. And that was always seen as an almost unattainable dream under Mourinho. They only got beat once that season by, who was it again? Uh, was it Manchester City? I think it might have been, yeah. Um, and I think... I think, you know, they, they were unquestionably an amazing side. And I think what what... Pep has done in terms of the way that he changes football. I think, like Leon made the point before about like what ways he's going to set up next season. I mean, we don't really set up with a, we, we we pretty much play with about eight midfielders most of the time. It's not like we have defenders sat back or here, there, and everywhere. It's more about the way that transitions happen and and all that kind of clever words that I don't understand. But it, it it's just I think the the fact that. We know words like transitions. The fact that we like the, the the fact that you know pivots or double pivots or absolute crap like that. The fact the the fact the, the the fact that we actually hear those words, never mind even try and understand them, means that yeah, Guardiola's changed the league. Any more questions? I'd like to ask the panel: Is the Community Shield a genuine trophy? <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, it's a it's a game between two clubs. Um, someone wins a cup at the end of it, so it's a genuine competition. Um, the value of that competition is down to the fans, in essence. You know, do you revere winning that? I don't think anyone particularly says I want to win the charity shield above everything else. But as a curtain raiser for the season, it's always a good day. It's always a nice day. It's always um, two teams, one maybe a bit uh, further along in pre-season than the other, so you get quite an interesting, um, um, quite an interesting battle on the pitch. But you get at the end of it, you get a trophy and you get medals. So, yeah, it is. Hope everybody's excited for the prospects of Liverpool at Wembley as well for uh, for the start of next season. Uh, anybody else? I think for me, the a one thing I want to say is thanks for the podcast. It's brilliant, love it, and makes a big difference in this in this day and age to actually hear positive stuff about City. So it's yeah, thanks. Um, 
for, for me, I think the media this year has been relentlessly tiring. And I think just listening to the, well, absolute rubbish that's coming out, to be perfectly honest. And do you think that two years, three years, four years' time, the media's sticking themselves in the foot? Because they're all going for the United fans, let's be honest. I've been crap for six years. It's not getting any better. I think they're going to have to change the name so they start in six and finish in six. You know, so I thought Richard can keep saying six. <laughs> um, so City fans are going to grow. We're growing. You know, it's a, bigger, it's a bigger fan base than it's been for years. You know, in 10 years' time, what are the media going to be doing? Uh, and I think, is, are they going to change next season or is it just more of the same? I think there's a very unique balance between City fans and the media at the moment whereby it's very easy to latch on to the negative stories and ignore there were some positive or was some positive stuff that came out um, after the treble win on Saturday there, there was um, City are a unique club in the way that we've achieved our success and I'm not you know, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's fine that somebody comes and invests the money in a football club. Um, clubs like United and Liverpool built this environment by um, exploiting, is a really negative word, but they, they exploited their, or United, I can't say Liverpool, but United exploited their success at the start of the Premier League era and they almost helped create this boom in football where they could win 13, trophy, 13 Premier Leagues in 20 years and nobody else could really compete with that because they did. I know it's their, the sort of words that they use but they, they built themselves organically and I think it's okay to say that and say that we didn't because it's true. City had to rely on massive investment coming in um, I think that's a good thing because City have been massively successful out of it. I, I think it'd be great if that happens to other clubs if FFP proves is proved to be proven to be the nonsense that it is, and we can lower that drawbridge again for these clubs. I have no problem with that, but it does create a, an entrenched position for people who think that is a bad thing to go at City a little bit and to not necessarily give them the credit that they deserve. And then obviously City fans are going to react to that. We see a lot of it on social media where this stuff is, um, you know, it's, it's an echo chamber, isn't it? You, you almost find what you're looking for and then you're in that, it, it's just bouncing around and you, you know, I spend far too long reading negative comments about City and before I'm, I'm finished, I forgot they've even won a trophy and, you know, it's, um, it's ridiculous. Stuff like Saturday was insane where it was the first time, like I'm pretty relaxed about how the media talk about City, but Saturday was the first time where I can ever remember a team be sincerely criticised for being too good. I've never seen it before. It happened. Um, I've no doubt it will happen again if they were to do if they were to repeat the trick next season. Um, to the point about them going after United fans, I think there is a legitimacy when journalists or editors argue that they just get more clicks that way. We see it with clickbait headlines. There's there's local papers. There's whole publishing, I don't know what you call it, publishing houses essentially for newspapers that treat all the papers in the same way. They go after massive, massive clickbait. United fans, Liverpool fans of a worldwide fan base that City don't have yet and their stories are maybe a little bit more dramatic, a little bit more rooted in people's consciousness. Um, so I don't think there is going to be a change in short. I don't think there will be a particular change in the way the media treats City. I think City fans will continue to react badly to that. Um, what I would say is, and you know, it's not, it's not a counselling session for you and you don't have to take my, my word on it, but I, I think what I would say is sort of to Leon's point earlier, and I said it last year when we, we got a bit of stick on this podcast, when we had a journalist on at the live show and, and somebody wasn't particularly impressed with some of his opinions. It doesn't matter. We're, as City fans, 
we can enjoy this. And if all the back pages tomorrow are about Mo Salah's new hat, as somebody joked about on Twitter, or it's criticising City for being too good, I don't care. Like, I was at the parade yesterday, as I'm sure a lot of us were, and nobody can convince me when there's 100,000 people lying in the streets of Manchester, like I dreamed of being part of when I was 10 years old and United were doing it. And there's dads there who were taking the sons, dads who probably thought that they'd seen City's last trophy 15 years ago. Nobody can convince me that there's no romance in this and that the romance has gone out of football or that this domination is a bad thing. Um, and so I'll just enjoy it and Miguel Delaney can write what he wants and Rob Harris can ask the questions that he wants to pet, but... I will continue to celebrate City's goals and success and enjoy it for what it is. And I would hope that every other City fan can do the same without getting too mad at, at, at what the media write. And interesting as well that um, recently that, 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 that City weren't good enough because they didn't win the Champions League, but then they were too good because they won everything else. And it's that weird paradox they existed in. Uh, got time for a couple more questions. Uh, one of the sort of other issues about the season, a bit more off the pitch, was the cost of tickets for our games we had at Wembley this season. Um, the next game City will play, which you know is not going to be at four, four in the morning in China, will be uh, the Community Shield. Uh, just put to the three of you whether you think it would be worth City fans trying to boycott the Community Shield, or as it's a charitable game, will that be more bad PR for City? I've, I've, I've gone on record numerous times saying it's a disgrace what the club's like with ticket prices, and I was chatting about this earlier on. Um, like Gaz, who's on the podcast as well, brought it up. And I'm sure I'm not the only person in this room that's dreading ticket prices, the season ticket prices coming out. I'm just waiting for when they're looking at the most opportune moment to drop a price increase. If they were gonna, if they were gonna freeze it, or if they were gonna drop the price, we'd have known about it ages ago. We all know it's coming. It's just a case of how much. I'm sick to death of them doing it. Um, and I know, like Liam, you've asked the question. You you go here, there, and everywhere. Like I don't know how you do it. Like you literally travel all over the country following City and you need to be commended for that but there does there just needs to be some enough is enough like and I like I've I've made <clears throat> made conscious decisions to sack off the sack off like uh, cup games whereas I used to do every single home game and then maybe look to do about three or four away games a season I've not done an away game for a few seasons now because I just can't justify the price. I don't do the cup games anymore because I can't justify the cost. And I know that I'm in a fairly privileged position. I can't I can't think of how awful it must be for people who aren't in you know, who are in a much worse position that then just get knobheads left, right and centre saying Oh well, there's empty seats here, or there's empty seats there. Uh, you, you're not you're not as deserving a fan as some arsehole who hangs a Liverpool flag outside his window. Like just, <laughs> just, 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 just because you can't afford to go to games. I know plenty of people. I know plenty of died in the wool City fans that can't afford to go to games and don't go to games just purely because of the cost. And the club do take advantage of that. And it is a disgrace, you know. We, I'm I'm not naive enough to ever have thought that my football clubs ever thought of me as a fan. In the whole like I'm I'm 31 years old. I've only ever been considered a customer in the eyes of my football club. But it's just it's worse and worse and worse every year and I'm dreading the ticket prices. I know we've been really positive tonight. Uh so cheers Liam. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um and and I know Mooney's probably sick to death of me because for some reason Every time a ticket price question comes up, it, I, I'm on the podcast, so and I'm really positive about it, as you can hear. Always consistent, at least, I think, is, uh, is the answer. Well, unfortunately, time's beaten us. Uh, that just about wraps up the Blue Moon podcast for this season. Um, 
before we go, I'd like to say some thank yous because of, we've had a lot of help throughout the year and we've not been able to put the show together without it. First off, uh, thanks to everybody who's appeared on the panel throughout the season, giving up their time to come into the studio because, let's face it, it's a very inconvenient place to get to and it's all year round, so uh, we do appreciate it. Um, thanks also to Sam Roscoe, who, while he's not hosting the show anymore, uh, he is still a big part of the show and is still a nice sounding board for me to have uh, and I am working on ways to get him back into the show, so, uh, so uh, you might hear him in the very near future. A uh, big thanks to Dave Walensky at Idle Hands Coffee for hosting this evening and to Ellis Hodgkiss for uh, helping us tech the evening as well. Um, thanks to Paul Taylor for, for helping getting tonight's uh, show recorded with the equipment. I'd also like to thank Alex Rowan, Simon Heggie and Elliot Ward at City for helping us speak to the club throughout the year. Uh, a big thank you to everybody who's been a Patreon backer at any point during the season. It really does help keep the show going and without the funding we'd not be recording in a radio studio every week. If you'd like to help out there are more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast though we're not going to be taking any money for June and July because we're not putting anything together over those months. Um, I'd personally also like to thank Sam Atkins for putting up with my podcast shenanigans throughout the year uh, and my mum and dad Helen and Dave uh, just for at least not complaining when 50% of my entire life is spent thinking about what I'm going to do with the podcast. Um, thank you all to, uh, for coming uh, here on your Tuesday night. Thanks to everyone who's listened this season. Have a great summer and join us again in August when we'll be here to do it all again. Good night. the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast